Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of John. We're preaching through the book of John, I and the staff and other teachers, and uh, today we're going to talk about one thing I know, John chapter 9. John chapter 9, going to refer to the whole chapter, only read a few verses, and we're going to be preaching from that passage this morning, so let's get ready to stand and read, if you would, please. We're going to read just a portion of it. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 and 35 through 41. So let's stand. Words are on the screen. Let's honor the Lord as we stand and read his word together beginning now. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Look down at verse 35 and we'll read to the end. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sins remain. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and the teaching of your word this morning and apply it to our hearts. Encourage us with the fact that when you come, you do make us see. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Each week when you come in, there's a sheet like this that you can pick up and it helps you uh, sort of as a, as a listening guide. So we're on the final approach to the cross, folks. Uh, Jesus has been vilified by mankind on earth, but he's going to be glorified as he goes to the cross and dies for our sins. 
Mistakenly, many people think, well, you know, he went to the cross and he died there. I mean, that's not glorification. I mean, that's crucifixion. No, the truth is, is that God, the Father, and the Son talked about the day that he went to the cross and, and finished the work that the Father gave him to do was the day that he was glorified. It was his shining moment to, uh, to offer and make the propitiation, the payment, the atonement for our sins. And so I want to tell you the cross is not a defeat. The cross is a victory because it's at the cross where you and I had our sins paid for and covered. So I'm thankful for the cross today. Amen. I am so, so thankful for that. There were about six months left for Jesus on the planet at the time we read this morning. Uh, he is working while it's day. That is, his time on earth is still going on because it's coming to a close and he wouldn't be able to continue. Now, we read uh, last week the last verse of chapter 8. We need to read it again to make sure we pick it up where we left it off. They took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. So the connection between 8 and 9 is he had just been threatened with death with stoning, but he walks out through the midst, and as he's passing by some people, he sees the man that was blind. It's a couple of important notes. Jesus was still at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews during that time had picked up stones again, not to stone the woman taken in adultery like in chapter 8, but this time they're picking up stones to stone the one who had forgiven her for uh, committing adultery and for being caught in the very act. You know, Jesus could not be stoned as a sacrifice. He had to be lifted up as a sacrifice. You know, the Bible is very clear that every jot and tittle must be fulfilled of his prophecy. Jesus was declared that he would be lifted up on a cross. He could not be stoned to death. It would not have been the same. They wanted to kill him then and there, but he passed through. Now, folks, I think I could preach an entire sermon from the first verse this morning. I won't, but I need to make a comment or two, and that is this blind man was doing the only thing that he could do to support himself at the time. They didn't have any other business or any opportunities, and there wasn't a place for job, you know, there wasn't a job fair for blind people in those days. He was begging. He was doing so at the temple. That was the best place to do it. This probably was the best time of the year to do it because of the celebration that was going on for the Feast of Tabernacles. They were in a religious frame of mind. They were celebrating and joyful, perhaps feeling generous. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from birth. Let me just park here for a minute. And that is to say this, is that Jesus always sees us. He doesn't just pass by and move on and look and just gaze at. No, no, no. He passed by and he sees us in our condition. He always sees us and he knows about all of our troubles it was Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, that first called God El Roy, which means the God who sees. Well, the truth is we don't always see as people, even though we're believers and we'd like to. We get busy. We've got pressing matters, work to do, daily duties that keep us focused, keep our eyes forward and always on the move. But the truth is Jesus, somehow, though he was ridiculed, vilified, slandered, in danger of physical attacks and his heart was set like a flint to go to Jerusalem and to go to the cross. In spite of all of that, he still saw people as he passed by. He didn't just pass by people in need. He noticed them. And so I want to say to you this morning, Jesus sees you today. I don't know exactly what your situation is. Maybe not physical blindness, but some situation, some circumstance 
Maybe the doctor said cancer. Maybe there's someone that's really having a hard time in the relationship this morning. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's Maybe it's a one of a, a myriad of things I could mention this morning, but I want you to know that there's not anybody going through anything that Jesus doesn't see. He sees you, just like he saw the handmaid under the broom tree in the desert, just like he saw this man by the wayside, like he saw and heard Bartimaeus. He always sees us. Now, I just want to say to you this morning, take courage because Jesus knows all about our troubles. He knows all about our heartaches. He knows all about our fears. He sees you this morning. It's so very, very important that we know that he sees us. Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn, pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others you are calling, please do not pass me by. And he never passes us by. Have you ever been in a place of complete darkness? You know, we're talking about a blind man and blindness is a situation of absolute darkness. I mean, have you ever been somewhere like that? I go back to when the kids were young, we went to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Anybody ever been to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky? Well, <clears throat> one of the things you can do there is get on an elevator and they take you down to one of the lower rooms and uh, it's a bright place because they've got, you know, all kinds of lights in there and you can see the stalactites and the stalagmites and stalactites hold on tight and stalagmites, whatever, I can't remember how that goes. But uh, we were looking at all that stuff and it was just beautiful and we were being wowed by it and then all of a sudden somebody hit the switch and darkness. I mean, darkness like the Bible says that you could feel. <laughs> it was so dark. You could wait for a minute, an hour, or for a week, and your eyes are never going to get accustomed. You get an appreciation for the light when you're in total darkness. Do you know what? A blind person lives that way. This blind man from birth had lived that way all of his life. You could place a thousand watts of light in that blind man's face, and he's still not going to be able to see because it's not a problem of light, it's a problem of sight. That is the exact situation that that blind man was living in. In fact, uh, he could see nothing, no matter whether it was m midnight or noonday, he was blind. But in our story today, he received sight. And of course, there's more to the story than physical sight, there's spiritual sight, and that's the emphasis that we'll see. Now, don't forget John's purpose in this book. As we started this study and as we talked about it, I and the others that have been preaching, we've mentioned it several times what John's purpose was in recording these signs and miracles. John 20, 30 says, and Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And so these are written to give you reasons to believe. This man had a miracle performed on him in order to have a reason to believe. Uh, in all of our stories, in all of our miracles in the passage, that's the way it is. And so uh, I'd just like to say to you this morning, these miracles have a message. These signs signify something. This is the sixth one. They were written so they were written not so that we could believe in miracles. They were written so we could believe in Jesus. We, we should believe in the miracles that are recorded, but we're supposed to trust Jesus. And he did these miracles to give us a reason to believe. Reasons to believe. Say that with me. Reasons to believe. I want you to understand that God's working in your life all the time to give you reasons to believe. And that's exactly what he did for the blind man. He gave him a reason to believe. He gave him spiritual sight as well for salvation. 
So here we have a man who never saw anything before in his life. He got a first look that day at the sun, S-U-N, the thing in the sky. And he got a first look that day at the same time at the sun, S-O-N, the son of God. That's what happened to him. A few notes. He was blind from birth, verses 1 and 2. Born blind. He was congenitally blind. He didn't lose his sight. He never had any sight. He was in the dark. He had never seen the light. He didn't have a retinal problem. He didn't have macular degeneration. He had never seen anything. Don't miss the link that this makes with the previous passage because we're talking about a man in darkness. Well, what was going on at the Feast of Tabernacles? Pastor Matt so eloquently preached and showed us that there was a great light celebration, a water celebration, and then a light celebration where they brought in these huge candelabras at night, and they were just just immensely big and large, and they lit up the whole temple court, and everybody was saying, not him, he didn't see it, because he was blind. That's the picture. He is totally blind, and so this is an incredible picture of what is going on. Uh, The cure wasn't a brighter light for him. It was the gift of sight. And so what did he do? In our passage, he met the light of the world. And this is the only case of congenital blindness in the Bible. The only case. Jesus gave the man sight who had never had sight. He was born blind. Now, Bartimaeus and others, they had become blind. But in this case, I mean, so there's no way to fake this. There's no way to, you know, to pull some kind of trick and say, well, you know, I mean, he wasn't really blind or he was only legally blind. No, no, no. He was congenitally blind, never saw anything. This man's eyes were recreated. It's amazing that for the disciples, if you look at the passage, it says his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. For his disciples on that day, it was not a subject of mercy and compassion, but it was a theological discussion of why he was born blind. Let's get into this. Let's see if we can understand the why. Well, Jesus, he wasn't wasn't into that part of it. He just wanted to heal him. So important for us today. He was a natural beggar. Verse 8 says, his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him uh, begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? You know, the truth is, is that every human being on planet earth sits in a beggarly situation because we don't really receive anything from God until we're one of his children. We have common grace, but we don't have a relationship with him. We are on the earth living to satisfy the most basic needs. But when Jesus comes, he gives life, light, and that life is abundant. He was a natural beggar. Something else, he was routinely rejected. Verse number two, the disciples want to talk about who sinned. Uh, was it to his parents? Was it him? Did he sin before he was born? Uh, maybe they were thinking back to the Old Testament in Exodus and Deuteronomy where, where it says that God visits the sin of the parents to the fourth generation. You know, that kind of, maybe that's what they were thinking. It goes on to say the disciples and the Pharisees were infected by the generally accepted idea that people who suffer are guilty of some terrible sin. They believed in ancestral sin, prenatal sin, future sin. And they assumed that all sin, all sickness and suffering had to do with some sort of sin. Well, it says plainly in the passage, Jesus said, nope, hadn't got anything to do with that. But I let this, we let this father, the father let this happen to him so that in him, his glory, his power can be revealed. Stop and think about that for a moment. Do you know that stuff happens that's not comfortable for the glory of God and for his name to be revealed? Think about that for a moment. You say, well, I, I would never sign up for that. Nope, but sometimes God, sometimes God assigns that 
That's so important. Listen to this thought here. Verse 3 says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. What a concept. God might allow something in my life that is difficult, uncomfortable, a hardship, but that can glorify him. I'm going to say more about that with an incredible story in a moment. Now, I've titled this sermon, One Thing I Know. That comes from verse 25, I think, or 24. One Thing I Know. I noted that the word know, K-N-O-W, is in this passage over and over. So if you've got a pencil, you can mark these. In verse 12, the man himself, once he was healed, didn't know uh, where Jesus was. And so he says, I don't know where he is. And then verse 20, uh, the parents, the boy's parents says, we know this is our son. Verse 21 says, uh, how he sees, we don't know. And verse 22, it says, who healed him, we don't No, there's the word no. Verse 24, the Pharisee says, well, what we know is he's a sinner. He broke the Sabbath. Rules first, always. Who cares about the blind eyes being open? We don't care. We want these rules kept. That was verse 24. He's a sinner. We know that. Verse 25, the man himself says, one thing I know. I was blind and now I see. Never mind all these peripheries here. Never mind all this other stuff. I'm going to tell you something. I'm the guy. I was the beggar. I was blind, born that way. I was blind, but now I see. I want to just pause and say to every person who's come to know Jesus and has met him and had your spiritual eyes open, there ought to be a difference. We ought to know that something happened to us. We ought to know that there was a before and after in our life. So important. Verse 29 The Pharisees are talking again. We know God spoke to Moses. There's the word no. Again, verse 29. We don't know where this man is from. He'd been telling them the whole time they weren't listening. Verse 30. You don't know where he's from, the man said. And then again in 30. But we know that God does not hear sinners. The book of Psalms and Proverbs says that over and over and over. So there's nothing as powerful as this man's personal testimony. Now, he was blind and he could not seek Jesus. Jesus came to him. It's always that way. Uh, Lost people in spiritual blindness and darkness when we're still in our sin don't wake up one day and say, well, it's time to do something about this. I'm going to go find Jesus or I'm going to go find religion or I'm going to go find the gospel. I want some. No, no, no. It doesn't happen that way. This man was blind. He was unable to see. He couldn't see Jesus to go follow him. He couldn't see Jesus to go see. He might have heard some, new, some noise and some commotion, but he couldn't see him. He could not see his way to go get there. And that's the way everybody is. We're spiritually blind. You know, Nicodemus, this theme is, all, all, is repeated all the way through here. Nicodemus, in chapter 3, Jesus said something really interesting to him. He said, look here, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. I encounter people like that all, almost every week that I talk to, share the gospel with. It doesn't make sense. They can't put it together, don't understand it. There's a lot of people that they, they hear the gospel, the gospel of redemption, the gospel of salvation. They hear it. They don't, it doesn't make sense. They hear it. I, I've got people in my neighborhood I've shared the gospel with. Say, you know, the truth is I hear what you're saying and everything. just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm an atheist. Well, they can't see it. Well, that's the whole point. You've got to believe before you can see. Ah, this is so, in, so very, very beautiful. Romans 3.11 says, nobody seeks God. No, not one. We're all in the dark until God turns on the light in our heart. This man's testimony this morning is my testimony. 
I was blinded by sin. I had no clue how to come to God. God opened the eyes of my heart, convicted me of my sin and my condemned situation. He showed me the truth of his love at the cross. And then I wanted Jesus and I wanted to be saved. And now I can say with this blind man, I was never physically blind, but I was as blind as a bat backing up spiritually. I was lost. I was in sin. I was hopeless and helpless, but the Lord made me see. I was able to come to faith in Jesus. And I'll tell you what, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. How about you? Was there, did something happen to you when Jesus came in your life? Was there a difference? How many of you can say it? Amen. There was a difference. Raise your hand. Jesus comes. He makes a difference. Well, how can I know, Pastor? Well, here's what I want you to write down. Just a few things. One, believe that God has a purpose for your life. You got to believe it to see it. God has a purpose. You know, well, my life's been such a wreck and so many problems and everything. Well, don't, that doesn't cancel out the purpose of God in your life. God has a purpose. So here's this man. He's blind. He's been begging all of his life. He's at least 20 years old because he's of age. So there he is. He's begging. He's at the, he may be older than that, but there he is begging and that's his life. I don't see any purpose in that. Oh my goodness. God forgot me. He was handing out good situations. He didn't give me one. God has forgotten about me. You got to believe that God has a purpose for your life. And I want to tell you something. Every malady is an opportunity for God to work. Everyone, every hardship. You've heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. How many of you know who I'm talking about when I say that? Johnny Erickson Tata. She broke her neck in a diving accident in the Chesapeake Bay when she was 17 years old. She's a quadriplegic at that point from then on at 17. She said, I'm going to be in this wheelchair for the rest of my life. And she wanted to die. She was begging to die. She was asking the friends that came to see her, please slash my wrists. I can't feel anything. I won't feel it. Please help me out of this misery. She would take her motorized wheelchair and run it into the wall as fast as she could, hopefully to break her neck in another spot so that she would die. She didn't want to live like that. If God wasn't going to heal her, then she just wanted to die until the Lord broke her down and she got to the place where she said, God, if I can't die, then please show me how to live. And it seems that God said, all right, that request I will answer. Second Corinthians chapter 12 says, when I am weak, then I am strong. In her case, God has used her in tremendous ways. Probably most of us in this room wouldn't know who she was if God had healed her some 55 years ago. If she had been healed, we would not know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. But we know who she is today because she, he did not heal her in that way. He shined his light through her in a way that takes everybody by storm. Because, hey, if this lady in a wheelchair can praise God, praise the Lord, become an artist, use her testimony for Christ, if she can have joy and peace and power even in the midst of her suffering, then maybe God can do something in my life as well. And I'm just telling you, every, mal- every malady is God's opportunity. Everyone. Is it a situation? Is it the way you came into this world with a very difficult family background? Is it, is it a sickness? Is it a heartbreak, a relationship breakdown? Is it financial? What? God can use everything, but you have to believe it to see it. This happens so that the work of God might be displayed. The second thing I want you to see is believe God can help you with your problems. John 9, 7, he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the word Siloam means Sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. 
He was sent to wash, but the water was sent from afar. You see, we get in our mind that when it says Siloam means sent, we think the man is sent to Siloam. Well, he is in a sense, but that's not what it's about. It's about the water of Siloam being sent from afar. Because going all the way back to the time of Sennacherib's uh, besiegement of the city of Jerusalem and Hezekiah, seeing that they were coming, went and dug tunnels and brought water from the springs of Gihon and brought them all the way into the city so that there would be water in the city and they'd take it away from the invading armies and there's water bubbling up inside. That water was sent from afar. Well, if you look at chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, we know that there's some water that has come from afar, the living water, the person of Jesus Christ who gives us living water. You see, Jesus was sent from afar. He came from the Father. He came to earth to give us eternal life. And when he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, go wash in the sent location, go wash in what has been sent to you. And I'm telling you here today, everybody here, if you ever called on the name of Jesus, it's because God sent his son into the world who knew no sin to die in our place. God sent him. What a beautiful thing. And I just want to say something about this mud in his eyes. I don't know about you, but if I get even the tiniest little bitty speck of anything in my eye, any kind of little dirt, sand, anything like that, man, I mean, it is. It, I mean, I go find me some Visine or something or get some water and whoosh, get that stuff out of there. Imagine Jesus spit. That's kind of an amazing thing. And he made some mud and clay and he smeared it in his eyes. Well, what is the first inclination that man's going to want as his eyes have got all this stuff smudged and smashed into him? He's going to go want to go and do what? Wash him out. Listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that we are sinners gets mushed and smushed into our lack of sight and it irritates us because until the gospel of Jesus Christ irritates, hurts, and wounds us, we're never really going to want to be saved. Third, believe God when others doubt. Believe God when others doubt. The neighbors couldn't believe it was the same guy. That's verse number eight. His parents were afraid to believe that anything happened. That's verse number 20. Whenever they were asked about him, they said, well, we know this is our son, that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees? We don't know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He is of age. Ask him. Let him speak for himself. His parents said this, verse 22, because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, Jesus, was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Well, we kind of live it in that world today. If you don't believe, you don't march to the drumbeat of the world and say things that they say and believe what they believe, then you can just really be put out of all kinds of things in this life today. Well, this man's going to be put out of the center of, center of life for Jewish people. The center of life, he's going to be put out. And these parents, there's no way, man, we're not even getting into this. I mean, he's, he's old enough, let him fend for himself. <laughs> and so they were afraid of the Jewish religious establishment. The Pharisees wouldn't believe that anything had happened. The first thing was they wouldn't believe that he'd been blind, so they called his parents. And then they doubted that Jesus could do it because they knew he was a sinner. They thought he was a sinner. Then they doubted how he could do it by just putting clay on his eyes. Then they couldn't believe that he did it when he did it. Of course, here we go again. Well, you're breaking all the rules here. How dare you help somebody, heal somebody, encourage somebody on the day that we're supposed to do nothing. It's the Sabbath. You can't do anything. Rest. Don't heal. Don't help. Don't do anything. That's, John, that's 9.16. We know this man's not from God for he's working on the Sabbath. He broke the rules. As always, they cared far more 
for the rules and traditions than they did for the blind man's condition. Can I just ask of us, please, Grace Church, let's please don't put handcuffs on God and on the good work that we can do for people because of rules and regulations that have been built. The Pharisees wouldn't believe. They could see what was happening, but they couldn't see it. They didn't perceive it. They did not believe, so they didn't see. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. No one, was so, no one is so blind as a person who is blind but insists that they can see. And that's what he said in the last part to the Pharisees. You remain in your sin because you say you have no sin. You remain in your sin because you say you see. You don't see it, so therefore you can't be saved. Believe God when it costs you in other relationships. Boy, this is big. Believe God when it costs you in other relationships. There's a lot of people that say, you know, I'd really, I'd really live for Jesus and do what God wants me to do. But, you know, if I, if I do that, then it's going to cost me in my relationship with family members, friends, coworkers. I'll be marginalized. You know, in this story, the neighbors all had an opinion on his healing. Mom and dad were more afraid of the social cost of confessing Christ than the eternal cost of denying him. The Pharisees were afraid of what it would do to their position in the Jewish religion if they believed in Jesus. And the former blind man, praise God, he had to count the cost of family relations and social acceptance, but the deciding factor was this one. One thing I know is I was blind, but now I see. I'm going to tell you, when you've met Jesus and nothing else really, how many of you are really happy that Jesus has saved you from your sin? Say amen. amen. Well, I want to tell you something. If he saved you from your sin, then don't let any other relationship supersede that one. There's nothing more important than a relationship with your Lord and Savior. Number four, believe God wants to open the eyes of your heart. That's Ephesians 1.18, the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. You see, we need our eyes of our heart open so that we can see needs. The prodigal son had a need. He had to see himself as needy. The woman in our passage earlier that was bleeding needed to see herself as needy. The nobleman saw himself as needy because his son was dying and he could do nothing about it. So he saw that he had a need. There's nobody so helpless as the person that doesn't even know that they have a need. Folks, we need Jesus. We need to see. We need to understand. You need to see and then you need to see God's answer. Listen to this blind man's confession. They asked him, they said, well, who did this for you? Watch this progression of faith. Well, a man named Jesus, that's all I know. Where is he? I don't know. A man named Jesus. Then second of all, after they got to talking to him about it and he was moving along in his faith, they said, well, what do you have to say about this man? He said, well, he's a prophet. That's the same thing that the woman at the well said before she got saved. He's a prophet, I believe. And then what else? They keep moving along. He says, well, I think he's a man sent from God because a sinner can't do these kinds of things. He's a man sent from God. Watch his faith grow. And then I want you to look at the beautiful passage in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, look at this revelation of himself. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. Now he's looking at him. You have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Verse 38, then he said, what's the first word he said? Lord. Two different lords in that passage. One is just sir, and the other one is master. <laughs> one of them is, you're God. I know who you are. I'm telling you, Jesus is Lord. Well, he had reasons to believe, and I just want to finish by just pointing out that we've had six. This is the sixth sign. Each one of these signs says something to us. Each one of them has a message. Oh, yeah, we believe in the miracle, but don't miss the message. 
We believe that Jesus is a miracle worker, but Jesus has a miraculous message that's a bigger miracle than the miracles that he was doing. Miracles on planet earth, even if they're amazing, only last for time. But the miracle of the new birth and salvation lasts for eternity. Oh, make sure we get it. Yes, I believe. Do you see the confession of this man necessary for enlightenment and for his salvation? Let me ask you a question. Here are the miracles. The first one was the water into wine. Do you believe that Jesus is the unending source for joy in your life, the joy you desire? Well, the answer should be yes, I believe. They were at a wedding. It's time to rejoice. The wine ran out. The rejoicing was over. I want to tell you, people are looking for happiness. You want happiness? No, Jesus. Follow Jesus, love Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus can help you in a crisis like the nobleman's son? He had a son, he was dying, he could do nothing about it, so he went to see Jesus. Heal my son, he said. Well, go home, your son is healed. He believed. Yes, I believe. Do you believe that Jesus can raise you up from the paralysis of sin and hangups and habits and hurts? I hear it all the time. Well, I'm an alcoholic, or I've got on the drugs young, or I got into this habit or that habit, and I just can't seem to break it. Well, You're going to have to believe before you see it. Believe, do you believe that Jesus can raise you up from the paralysis of sin, hangups and habits? He did it for the man at the pool of Bethesda. Can you say, yes, Lord, I believe. Do you believe that Jesus can satisfy the hunger in your heart for life's meaning? He fed 5,000 with a sack lunch. Do you believe that he can feed your soul with what you need for your life and fill up that, that hungry place you have? Yes, Lord, I believe. Do you believe that Jesus invites you to walk with him on top of the storms of your life and on top of all the failures and setbacks in your life? You see, Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples in the midst of a storm. And Peter said, Lord, let me come out of the boat and walk to you. And he says, all right, come on. I'm telling you something. We've got to believe before we can see it. Those storms, those problems, problems, those sicknesses, heartaches, all you name it, whatever it is, you have to believe that God is working and that you can overcome by coming to Jesus. And you got to believe it in order to see it. Believe. I said it already. The reason he wrote all these things was why? So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he can help. So do you believe that he can make you see with the eyes of your heart? That he can make and believe that he can give you an inner life, an inner light in life so that you can live? Do you believe that he can guide you, help you, make you avoid the stupid mistakes and sins in life that the devil is planning for you? Do you believe it? Yes, Lord, I believe. Then go wash and start seeing. Obey his voice. Listen, listen to me as I finish. Obey his voice. Listen to his word. Don't be ashamed of him no matter what it costs. Continue to follow. Continue to congregate. Continue to serve. Continue to pray. Continue to believe. Continue to rehearse the fact that once you were blind, but now you can see. Just continue. We preached it last week. What do disciples do? They persevere. They continue. And I want to tell you, just because things are difficult doesn't mean God took a vacation. Because in the difficulty and the heartbreak and the heartache, God can bring great glory to himself and he can give you great purpose in your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? One thing I know, once I was blind, but now I can see Once I was hopeless, but now I have hope. Once I was despairing, but now I'm full of delight. 
once I was on the wrong road. Now I'm going right. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? If you have, hang on to your profession of faith. Believe and keep believing. Keep serving. Because whatever God's doing in your life, he can give you the light you need in order to go forward. Father, please bless the people today. Help us to be full of gratitude for your goodness. It's a long passage with a major point. And that is you give us light and you make us see and you can give us life and that life is abundant. Help us now as we think about and contemplate these truths. Lord, it's all because of your grace, your unearned favor that you pour out on us. You don't give us what we deserve. You give us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, mercy, compassion, and this wonderful word of grace. Help us to rejoice in it. In Jesus' name.